I'm not sure I'm going to do well with that. I'm from England, and our weather is the worst in the history of the universe. So, uh, morning, everybody. How about another round of applause for those lovely families who dedicated their children today? So glad that Pastor Donnie is part of our team, although he does give me a problem. I've just got to confess it because uh, I covet his hair. That dude's got hair, hasn't he? So, great. It's been a bit, bit of a pretty big week for me um, in that I just had a new book released this week uh, in the US. It's being released in a couple of weeks in Europe. Uh, it's called Faith in the Fog. And just wanted to mention this to you. What happens when the fog comes down in your life and you're believing in what you can't see or touch? How do you keep going? What happens when depression lands in your life or you are overwhelmed with some shame? Now, I've waited 24 years to write this book and it's so radically honest, I'm scared. And so if you think I'm weird from what you know of me up here, it gets worse, baby, let me tell you. And so we bought a, a number of those books in this weekend, and why am I mentioning this? Because they're all, they're all gone. They've, uh, they've all been sold, but we're going to try and get some more in next weekend, and it's also available on Amazon, um, in Kindle, and all that good stuff. So those are available, and I would really ask that you just pray um, that this book will be helpful as it's uh, gradually released. I think it goes to Australia and New Zealand shortly as well. So um, just pray that people will be encouraged and uh, helped by that. Well, we're continuing this other series, and this weekend we're thinking about living purposefully. Living purposefully, we are, if you're a guest with us this weekend, we are looking at the character of Barnabas, uh, specifically how his life contributed to the life of the early church, and uh, living purposefully is our title. Acts 13, Acts 13 and verses 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We mentioned the weather earlier. How many of you would say, you know what, we like snow, but enough already? You like that? I certainly am. A couple of months ago, um, I bought a snowblower, and I have to confess that a romantic relationship with my snowblower. Uh, I love my snowblower. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. I've used it eight to ten times, and I thought I was done for the year, and yesterday I I had to get it out again, and I discovered just yesterday the height adjustment lever. (laughs) This means that I love my snowblower more now because it now blows snow. (laughs) Eight to ten times I've been up there, and of course then Kay had to come out and clear with the shovel, you know. Not really, don't write in, but the reason that I had this little uh, mechanical calamity is because I just didn't stop to read the instructions and follow the directions. I did not ask the how and the why of snow blowing. Wouldn't it be tragic if you got all the way through life never asking how 
Never really asking why. What's my purpose? Why am I breathing? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Why? And there are some people, of course, who would say there is really no answer to that question. There are some who would say there is no why. We're just here. Jose Martinez, who drives a cab in New York City. Uh, This is his philosophy of life. Listen to this. He says, we're here to die. Just live and die. I live driving a cab. I do some fishing, take my girl out, pay taxes, do a little reading, and then get ready to drop dead. He says, life is a big fake. You're rich or you're poor. You're here, you're gone. You're like the wind. After you're gone, other people will come. It's too late to make it better. Everyone's fed up. Can't believe in nothing no more. People have no pride. People have no fear. People only care about one thing, and that's money. We're going to destroy ourselves. Nothing we can do about it. The only cure for the world's illness is nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start over. We've become like a cornered animal fighting for survival. Life is nothing. I do not want to vacation with this dude. (laughs) There's no why is what he's saying. And then there are others, of course, who give themselves to rather bizarre, unusual purposes. Their passion in life, they have a passion, but frankly it's a bit strange, like Michel uh, Latito of Grenoble, France. He has... He has given himself to eating metal and glass since 1959. He consumes two pounds of metal and glass every day. His diet has included 18 bicycles, 15 supermarket carts, seven TVs, six chandeliers, two beds, a pair of skis, a computer, and a Cessna light aircraft. That's weird. I'm sorry, that's odd. Or there's Peter Dowdswell. Peter Dowdswell, his life's passion, his life's purpose is holding the world record for prune eating. Some of you are already there, aren't you? I can see it. He ate 144 prunes in 31.2 seconds in Rochester Stadium, New York. They probably had to clear the stadium shortly afterwards. What's the point? What's the purpose? What's the why? And this episode can really help us as Barnabas and Saul were confirmed in their purpose and in their calling. Now, as we look at this today, as we examine this text, Barnabas and Saul were called to a specific ministry purpose, missionally to extend the Christian church. But I I want us to keep thinking broadly about our purpose, because if we're not careful, particularly pastors like me, when we talk about purpose, we can simply narrow that to volunteerism, and we'll see that that's important in the church. But actually, as we're going to see, we are called to purpose 24-7, and not just when we serve in something during the weekends. That's not just a practical truth, it's a theological truth. So let's jump in. Number one, in your outline. Number one, we are all called for the purposes of God's kingdom. We're all called for the purposes of God's kingdom. Verse two, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's an interesting idea that occurs throughout the New Testament, this idea of separation There's another word you might be familiar with. It is consecration. 
And the idea behind these words is not that we Christians need to run away and be separate from the world and get away from that big bad world, although the Bible teaches us a moral separation, a distinctiveness, a clarity. But what we are called to, being set apart, being consecrated, is not just negative, it's positive. It's about being separated to or for something. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said, I want you to separate Saul and Barnabas. There is a task that I want them to fulfill. The truth is we are all called, every one of us, for the purposes of God's kingdom. Every one of us in this place. I can hear someone saying, but I'm not a pastor. I'm, I, I, I don't work in the church. Let's, let's get out of that idea. Because you see, God is not just about building his church. He's about building his kingdom. The kingdom of God, do some work with me here. The kingdom of God was the main message of Jesus. Matthew uses the term 32 times in his gospel. It's the subject's it's the subject of all of Jesus' sermons, the kingdom of God. The parables are windows onto the kingdom. This is what the kingdom is like. The miracles are signposts to the kingdom. Unfortunately, even though it's the main message of Jesus, it's probably the most misunderstood. Because Matthew, in his Jewishness, uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, a lot of people therefore think kingdom of God, your kingdom come, your will be done, that that just speaks about the future heaven. And it does speak about the future, but please let's know that Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God now being near, now being among the people. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is simply a metaphor for the reign and rule of God. Wherever things are done on earth, God's way, the kingdom of God breaks out. It's the rule and reign of God. Now ultimately, it will be all consummated fully in eternity. So we speak about the kingdom of God being now and not yet. It's not fully here yet, but every day you and I are called to be agents of that kingdom. That means that when I became a Christian 360 years ago and they told me that being a pastor or a missionary was the highest calling, they were wrong. Sir, if you're not called to be a pastor, for you being a pastor is not the highest calling. It's the wrong one. What we need is a fresh re-empowering of people in every walk of life to discover whether they're in business or in medical care or they're in education, wherever they are, if they are uh, looking after children in their homes, wherever we are, it's not just that there is this separated group of clergy that are the special glow-in-the-dark fluorescent people who really get the job done. Now, actually, we're the support troops. We're the backroom people to help empower everybody to be agents of the kingdom. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you're going to just do extraordinary things tomorrow. It doesn't mean that you're going to go into your office and raise the dead, although that would turn some heads. Where do we get this idea that everything has to be extraordinary? When our children graduate from high school, sometimes in the closing address, they will be told, you are extraordinary, you can do anything you dream. It's not true. 
It's not true. Sounds good. And it is true that everyone is unique and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But where do we get this addiction with the extraordinary? That if you don't have your name up in lights or invent a cure for a particular disease or do something epic, then therefore you're not significant. Are we setting young people up for disappointment with our addiction for the extraordinary? One writer, William Martin, says, Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes and apples and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. Everyone in ordinary actions agents of the kingdom. Can I ask this? Have have we ever stopped and asked why? Because I believe that every person has purpose written over their lives. Do we stop and ask the Lord, am I living to my purpose? Secondly, our our gifts usually emerge gradually. Our gifts usually emerge gradually. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And these prophets and teachers identified Barnabas and Saul for this particular calling. But that didn't happen just in a moment. Let's let's think about this. Barnabas and Saul had known each other for at least nine years by now. Do you remember? It was Barnabas who helped Saul get into the church in Jerusalem. Saul then goes off to Tarsus. And then later, Barnabas goes to find him and introduces him to the church in Antioch. They spend a year teaching together there, and then the Antioch church commissions them to take a special offering to the believers in Jerusalem who are suffering famine. They do that, they prove themselves trustworthy, then they return to Antioch, and it's then, after this gradual nine-year period, that there is this sense of clarity and confirmation of their calling. I I think we're addicted to the instant. We want everything right now, you know, instant everything, even instant coffee. How many agree with me this is an evil thing? Should be banished from the earth. We like it instant. You know, it, it, when you, when you, if you go out to eat later today and you have one of those conversations, I know you have, where you, you, know, where you say, who was the king of Latvia in 1643? I know you guys have that kind of little chat. And, and, and one of you can say, fear not, for I have a smartphone. And I am a child of a Google generation. Don't have to go to a library or look at Encyclopedia Botanica. I can just Google it. Right now, does anyone remember dial-up internet stuff? I still feel a woundedness in my soul. When I look back, you And for about 45 minutes, your computer made puking noises. That was my internet dial-up impersonation. I won't be doing it at the next service. (laughs) You sat there, waiting, but now you're on wireless. You can just get right there. 
And I think we can be like that with the things of God. We can be like that with our gifts. We just want it right now. When I was past, uh, an associate pastor back in Oregon, we had a guy in our congregation, he's a friend, he's a really nice guy, and he, he was a logger. He, he had uh, worked as a, very successfully in the logging business. We were chatting one day and I said, um, how do you like what you do? Are you going to do this for the rest of your life? Do you really enjoy this? And he said, I, you know, he said, I really do. He said, but I am, he said, the Lord has told me that I'm going to be president of the United States one day. Now, do you ever have those moments when you're in conversation with people where you mentally talk to your face? You know what I'm saying? You say, face, don't react. Don't react. You really want to go... And you want to make noises like, ooh, ooh, ooh. But I said, face, look normal. All as normal as possible. I said, really? You're going to... You're going to... You're, you're, you're going to be president of the United States. He said, yeah. I said, how's that work? I said, have you done a like, political science course or have you, have you signed up to run for the city council? Are you taking steps towards the presidency? And he said, no, God's just told me I'm going to be in the White House. Now, as far as I know, he hasn't made it yet. Where do we get this idea that it all just happens? What gifts are emerging in you? Someone said years ago to me, your gifts are often what you enjoy doing the best. That blew me apart. I thought, really? Is it possible that there are things emerging in you? Sense of burden, passion, calling, gifting. They often emerge gradually. Thirdly, clarity, thirdly, comes through the spiritual disciplines. Clarity comes through the spiritual disciplines. Verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said... Or the Holy Spirit said, verse 3, So after they'd fasted and prayed. So, they have this sense of calling, but they clarify that with fasting and prayer. I'm, I'm wondering whether some of us struggle with spiritual disciplines because we kind of think to have a disciplined approach to our spirituality means that we got into some kind of legalism. Anyone here ever struggle with prayer? You fall as, when you pray, you fall asleep, you drift, you get bored. Anyone ever do that? Raise your hand. Okay. A few of us do. Anyone here ever struggle with lying? <laughs> Are we in reaction to what we think might be legalism? Uh, the history of the church is that, that, that sometimes people have done crazy things in the name of spiritual discipline. Macarius of Alexandria, ate no, he ate no cooked food for seven years, slept in a marsh for six months, and exposed deliberately his naked body to poisonous flies. So disciplined, but it's crazy. Simeon Stalites, he built a pillar six feet high in the Syrian desert, then he built another one 60 feet high, and he sat up there for 30 years, and they put a bucket, they, he pulled a bucket up with his food, and, and he sent the bucket down with his waist, gross, and sat there. And you see, some of us say, well, you know, I'm, that's, any, any kind of spiritual discipline is legalism. No, it's not. They, they, they went too far, obviously, those crazy stuff. But we need 
to be disciplined. And I, I want to live a life where I'm praying a lot and talking to God as I go through life. But I also need times when I sit down and I'm quiet. Do we do that? And I don't, I don't like fasting. In fact, I think it's a mistake in the text. I think it's a misspelling. I think it's feasting. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't look mad. Some of you are. I'm kidding. I prefer it if he did say feasting. You know, I really feel the Lord wants us to eat more fried chicken. <laughs> but fasting can be a part of this. It can. Spiritual discipline can clarify. Can I just say, if you're, you're feeling challenged about this, don't, don't run out of here and say, that's it, I'm going to pray for five hours a day. I'm going to pray for it. You know, it's better to pray in quietness for three to five minutes a day than it is to believe that you should pray for an hour a day but not pray at all because you're overwhelmed by the challenge. Right? But spiritual discipline, prayer can clarify gifts. Number four. Number four, others will confirm our gifts. Others will confirm our gifts. Look at what happens with the church. They place their hands on them and they sent them off. They've got these gifts and the church says, yep, you've got those gifts. I used to lead worship. <laughs> I used to lead sung worship with an acoustic guitar and I did it for a few years, and I thought it was okay. But helpfully, I had some faithful friends who came to me and they said, Jeff, we love your heart. It's just your voice that drives us nuts. They said, when you sing, people cry out to God, and not for the right reasons. So I gave up worship leading because I realized that it was not really what I was called to. And I've been in situations where people think they've got gifts, but they haven't. I've talked about this before, but maybe you've been in church situations where someone has stood up and sung 73 verses of a song that they insist the Lord gave them last night. And you hear it and you think, he probably didn't want it, now did he? Are our gifts confirmed? I can hear someone saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. So that's a Bible verse. Yes, but the Apostle Paul would be very upset if he heard us use it in that way. The Apostle Paul was saying, I can do everything that God has called me to do through the strength of his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul does not say, I can do everything. I can't do everything. I cannot play the bassoon. I cannot dance the lead role in the Nutcracker Sweet Ballet. There's a horrid thought. I cannot yodel in Spanish. I cannot yodel in English. I cannot give birth to twins. I cannot do everything. And often we use expansionist, visionary language in Christian circles. You can do this. Push through. Take a risk. Walk on water. When actually there are times when we need to say, I can't do that. That's not what my calling and my gifting is. 
and others can help confirm those gifts if we will let them. Number five. Number five, maintain a servant attitude. Maintain a servant attitude. Look at chapter 13. This is a loaded verse. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Did you spot it? Did you see it? Two things have happened. Number one, Saul has had a name change. He's become Paul now. He's never called Saul again. Secondly, the order has been reversed. It was Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and Barnabas and it stays that way from now on until ultimately they part later in their history. The mentor, Barnabas, has now stepped back and is allowing Paul to take the leading role I think that took a servant heart. It took some humility. Isn't it true that pride can so easily attach itself to even to our Christianity? And none of us are above that. Winston Churchill famously said, we are all worms, but I do believe that I am a glow worm. <laughs> you know, this is so important. That not only do we identify gifts, but that we express those gifts with servant hearts. Do you know one way to find out whether you've got a servant heart with your gift? See how you act when you're not needed. We have a great worship team here. You'll see a diversity of different people on the platform. I've been to churches where if you say to the keyboard player, you know what, we really appreciate you, but for the next month we don't need you, well, we want you again back in April, would you just step aside and make room for other members? That's when the explosion comes. That's when their gifts have become their territory. Don't, how dare you? This is my gift from God. No, your gift from God is to serve the big picture, not just to display your gift. And one great test of who's owning that gift is how we act when we have to stand in the sidelines. A servant attitude. It's a beautiful thing, Paul and Barnabas it is now. Well, number six, and finally, number six, living purposefully involves sacrifice. Living purposefully involves sacrifice. Look at chapter 13 and verse 50. Remember, Paul and Barnabas are now really fully functioning in their calling. The church has released them to that. And look at what happens. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. This is tough. This is hard work. But they just keep going. When you came in here today, did you know that you were greeted by some faithful servants? When you drove onto that parking lot, you met some people who steered you and they were out there for quite a while today and it's pretty cold out there. And by the way, it's not always an easy job out in that parking lot because just because you've got a fish on the back of your car doesn't make you an angel when it comes to driving. 
especially if you do not locate the parking space that the Lord Jesus gave you. Thank God for the hundreds of unsung heroes often without whom all of this would fall apart. Thank God for them. And do they always feel like doing that? I don't think so. Our ushers and... Do they always always feel like ushering and greeting? Do they they wake up in the morning and think, it's Timberline today, I've got to go and shake some people's hands and be nice to them. But they do it. And I think at the end of all things, they're going to be the ones that are celebrated. I've got this theory that when we all get to meet Jesus, something like this might happen to me, because I'm one of the people who has the privilege of standing up here, and it's a tremendous privilege. And I've got a feeling something like this might happen. I think Jesus might say, hey, Jeff, take a number. You're 2,763,432,121. I'll be with you shortly. Fred, Fred, you've been out in the parking lot. No one knew your name. Never stood on a platform. Step up, Fred. I don't say that in some kind of weird pseudo-humility. I just think that we need to celebrate the heroes who namelessly serve and give themselves. Not only in church life, let's expand it again. Out there in our community, Often no one notices their acts of kindness, their service. But God does. Sometimes it's hard work. Thank you for keeping on going. Stephen Travis, the writer, as I conclude, he he says this. He says, in the modern church, qualities such as perseverance and loyalty are in short supply. In an age of instant coffee and instant glue, we don't take easily to the pain of sticking to unglamorous tasks or developing a discipline in prayer. But as Samuel Chadwick said, all God's things are grown things. He is never in the ready-made business. Let's live according to kingdom purpose. Let's pray together, shall we? thank you Lord for this episode in the life of Barnabas where clarity came about his calling together with Paul and we very simply pause in our busy googling lives of hyperspeed and instant and we want to ask you Lord that we might discover our specific contributions that we can make for the kingdom of God. We'd like to ask you, Lord, what is our purpose? We'd like you to ask you to fill in the blanks as the gifts that we have emerge gradually as we seek you in prayer, in some cases with fasting, as we listen to others around us And then as we discover purpose and gifts, as we live as servants, and as we press through those times when we just don't want to do it anymore, 
We give you thanks today for the army of people, not only in this church and in other churches around this city, but in the city itself. The army of your people who are quietly every day doing ordinary things beautifully for your glory. Give us a sense of purpose and destiny that spills way out of Sunday morning into Monday morning and beyond. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, I invite you just to close your eyes with me. Some of you, some of us might want to just open our hands in front of us for a moment. And before we, before we rush into a busy, busy week, just maybe to whisper, holy, holy. Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said Amen. You know, we often say the service starts now. There's no better time to say that than after this message. The service really does start now. So turn around to a couple of people before you head out into the snowy weather and just say, go with grace. God bless you. The service starts now. Or just... Goodbye. I like you. Whatever you like, just greet each other. God bless you. Prayer team are here. We can pray with you. We'd love to.